Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 425 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Well, we have a lot to get to today, so we are going to waste no time. We are taking our listeners back to school related questions and then offering whatever advice or wisdom or encouragement or just like, yep, that's hard. We've been there, Um, whatever we can muster. And we are going to do this this Tuesday and next Tuesday. And what I love about this is we know everybody starts school at different times all over the country. So this might be coming to you like, what? I'm still on vacation. In fact, I am literally on vacation the, the day that this drops. But you can just kind of listen to get in the mindset for back to school or tuck it away and listen in a week or two when your mind comes around to this. So um, we have a really great variety of questions and enough to last us two whole episodes. You know, I want to point out something I thought was fun about this time around, because I feel like we've probably done back to school listener questions before, but um, I was pleasantly surprised by how many of these questions are aimed at like moms of school aged and like slightly older kids. I feel like usually we get more preschool and kindy and there's some of that obviously here too, but it's just kind of a, I guess, an indicator that our audience is kind of growing along with us, that there's moms of all different ages and stages listening. Yeah. Not only that, but um, the challenges that crop up at this time of year, don't, they just change shape. They don't go away. So there is less, we definitely feel a lot of like, this is all so new. I'm like swimming in brand new waters. We feel, we feel a lot of those types of emails this time of year from, like you said, preschool and kinder moms, but there's plenty of things that even if you're, once you're used to school parenting life, every year brings up something new. And you have, we actually, we both have kids entering 
high school, weirdly, even though I have a 10th grader, but we were at a different school for ninth that doesn't really count as a traditional high school. So I would imagine you and I have some of our own, um, you know, questions or worries this year. And we've been doing this a long time. Yeah. And uh, things are going to definitely be different for me having kids all in one school again. Haven't had that experience in, oh gosh, like 10 years or something. It's been a long time. Well, you're moving in the right direction. I will have three kids in three schools this year. I've I've at least been like three kids in two schools for a little while. I haven't had all everybody in the same school since before COVID, but anyway, can't, we can't have it all every year. Well, this first question is perfect because many of us are still in summer. And this is really a question from a mom who's reflecting on the summer that they have experienced and are still experiencing and how she's feeling about it leading into the school year. So it's a question from listener Stephanie, and she called it in. So we will listen to it now. Hi, Megan and Sarah. My name's Stephanie. Um, I'm a mom of a seven and a half year old, a six year old and a two year old. Um, I love your show. I've been listening for, I think, near seven and a half years. Uh, It's gotten me through a lot of hard times. My question for your back to school episode is, have you ever had a summer where you just really did nothing? And by nothing, I mean, you really didn't go on any vacations, nothing for the kids to like go back to school and talk to other friends about. But on top of that, nothing, you've really done nothing even academically it's just been a surviving summer it's been, we're having a we're trying to build a house and all sorts of things it's been a really difficult summer and honestly aside from reading stories to them here and there um, I'm not a big reading stories at night mom because it puts me to sleep, puts myself to sleep um, so I do try to do it during the day but even it's just been a hard summer so a lot of screen time very little academic anything. And I feel like my kids are going back into school or well, one is starting kindergarten. Then we're going into second grade with nothing to kind of like jog their memory. I'm scrambling right now to kind of start doing all the things. We have two weeks left and thinking like, oh, I need to like jog their memory. I know they do some stuff in the beginning of the year for that, but I'm just feeling just so, so guilty that our summer wasn't either filled with fun or filled with some fun learning things, just a whole bunch of nothing. And I just have a lot of guilt around that. And you know, you can't get time back. Okay. Stephanie, you are in such good company here because I feel like I've had an entire lifetime of summers of nothing, of nothing summers. And not every summer. I mean, we've had some pretty big summers where we've done, you know, big family trips or where we've been just on the move a lot. But as you've pointed out, sometimes when there's a lot going on, it just doesn't happen. And sometimes your kids are in a a stage or maybe like conflicting stages (laughs) that don't where like, they don't all want to do the same stuff. They don't all want to go to two year old. So seven, six and two. Yeah. Right. The things that are fun for a seven are not necessarily the same for a two. And even just having a two sometimes is all about survival. So like, I just want to say summer is not magical. There's nothing about summer that makes it like the only time of year you can create memories. And sometimes the best memories are ones that the kids kind of just create on their own, honestly, without a lot of planning or activity. Um, I was just sitting with 
Oh, and the other day he's 17 and he said, oh, the summer has been so epic. And I thought, well, you haven't really done anything. I mean, like they haven't had many experiences. We haven't taken like a big family vacation. It's been a lot of kind of like sitting around. But what he felt was epic about it was that all the um, siblings, including the older ones who've kind of gone off, had all gotten together the week before and spent time together, not doing anything, just spending time together. So I feel like there's, they might be really loving this summer and it doesn't look the way you think it should, but this might be the summer that they make some great memories or they won't remember it at all. Like it's all a crapshoot. I don't know that I'm helping, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm validating, I guess. Um, so I want to address the piece about they haven't done anything, um, academic or pre-academic or summer learning loss, bridging the gap other than maybe reading a little bit during the day. And Stephanie says she gets sleepy reading at night. And I will also add for context, Stephanie sent us a, a longer email in addition to the voicemail, just explaining that it has been a rough summer on their family. They're building a home. They've had a lot of chaos in the family and she does have a toddler and kind of like forgot how much work that is in and of itself. So I guess I want to frame this in like, we all go through seasons of life where we are not able to, I guess, deliver on this kind of um, shiny packaged childhood experience that we think we're supposed to deliver on. Um, This happens a lot at the winter holidays as well with Christmas time. There are uh, holiday seasons where you have a new baby or where someone in the family is sick or there's the family's going through a divorce or something. And there are times where you literally are phoning it in and just not able to create that. Like it's, you know, summer's supposed to be this way or Christmas is supposed to be this way. So it's worth just acknowledging Stephanie that this is one of those seasons for your family. Not every summer is going to be like this, but this summer was a hard one for your family. Full stop. Like I just, I hope that gives you permission to just say, yes, this was a summer of nothing because nothing was the very best that I could do period. Um, so that's one thing I just wanted to say, I guess, but the other one about reading and learning loss and maybe feeling like, oh, now there's two weeks till school and we got to be brushing up on our addition and subtraction facts. And, um, I think y'all know what I'm going to say about that, which is most likely you're fine. And that is not something you need to add to your plate right now when you have a two-year-old and a house that's being built and all of that. But, and, um, that might be a great entry into a conversation with your child's teacher. Once you're like a two, a couple weeks into the school year, it does not need to be drop off on the first day, but there might be an email that you write to say, you know, here's what's gone on with our family in the last few months. Things have been a little chaotic. Um, I had hoped to do a little more reading or a few more library visits this summer, and we just didn't get it done. Keep me posted on how second graders doing as the year kicks off and if there's anything we can do at home. I think opening that conversation with the teacher is a way to let the teacher know you do care. You're not um, you, you, you do have goals for your child's academics and you do hope that she's progressing in her reading, but it just didn't happen this summer. And I just think every teacher I've ever had is also a parent usually, and so compassionate about that kind of thing. Um, that that might kind of help some of your academic guilt is to just be really honest. Like, look, it didn't, we didn't read that much this summer. And I know that's important. And how can I help now? What can we do? You know, it's interesting also. um, And I would love to hear from a teacher or any amount of teachers about this because 
I have noticed, you know, in my, in my kids' schools, they do a, a test toward the end of the school year and then one toward the beginning. So I think maybe the early one is like a couple of weeks in and then the spring one is, I don't know, like in March or something. And pretty much every year, my kids have a small dip in things like um, reading comprehension. Like there's usually a small dip, but I haven't noticed there being a lar- much larger dip the years that like that I feel like I phoned it in the most over the summer or the years that felt like the biggest nothing summers. And I'm wondering if when we hear things about summer slide, if it's really like the aggregate mm-hmm. of like the whole classroom that's experiencing it rather than like your individual student. Does that yeah, make sense? Like, mm-hmm. you know, is my kid really going to now struggle to catch up or is it like summer just kind of did a number on everybody? And, right. and now there's going to be some more time at the beginning yeah. of the year, like, right. And there's going to be, pressures. there's going to be some kids who come in a little stronger, some kids who come in a little weaker, but really it's the, it's the group and the fact that they've all been out of the routine of the classroom for a whole summer, which cannot help, but be part of it as yeah. well. I'm so curious how much a parent's, um, academic efforts over the summer help the the, oh, the big picture yeah. or if they don't matter as much as we think. I think we take a lot of responsibility on ourselves is what I'm saying to like up the numbers for everybody. And I wonder how much it really matters. There's also, I think, a few early elementary school years where uh, in a lot of schools, parents are really um, strongly encouraged to do a lot of practicing and reading in the summer. And I do think it's that kind of first, second, third grade when learning to read is so important as we know, and, um, having the continued practice with math facts and stuff, it does help. And so I would just, just remember to take that with a grain of salt. Like that's in the context of you're also living your life and you're raising your kids and you're keeping them safe and you're keeping them fed. And it's fine. It's all going to be fine. Is what I want to tell Stephanie. I I had one more thought about this like idea of nothing with regard to vacations and fun and excursions and all that. Um, I know just last week, Megan, when we did our like summer so far and there's more more summer yet to come. um, I think you and I both said it's useful to kind of look at your calendar or look back at the photos on your phone that you've taken this summer so far. And I, I would say, depending on Stephanie's kids, maybe even ask the kids, like, what has been your favorite thing this summer? Or let's look at the pictures on my phone together. And like, what, what did you love? I almost feel like Stephanie needs a little reminder that mm. they are having a summer. They did stuff. They totally stuff did stuff. And it might've <laughs> yeah. been like backyard chasing fireflies one night or not even that. Um, but I bet the kids have memories, like you said, and I bet that if she looked back at what they did, it's not nothing. It's really just not nothing. It's the world that's made you feel like it's nothing, but it's not nothing. I love that. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor Meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor Meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah, and for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. 
And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Vionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code themomhour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes. Wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, so our next question came from Sarah via email. She says, hi, Sarah and Megan. I have three kids ages five, three, and one. They'll all be back in school soon, kindergarten and morning preschool, and I'm giddy with excitement along with lots of other feelings as well. My question is whether you all have or have had rituals to mark the back-to-school season for yourself. Do you buy yourself new school supplies, get a back to school haircut? Do you make plans for yourself in those first few weeks of school to get back together with friends or sit in a quiet, empty house? Thanks for the podcast. Hope y'all have enjoyed taking a break this summer. Sarah, I have a feeling your answer to this is going to be yes. Yes, absolutely. But I don't know. Well, okay. The yes, absolutely is giddy with excitement made me smile so much because you all, we get all these different emails and people have very different feelings about the start of school. I hope that makes everybody feel good. It makes me feel good. There's so many different types of moms. I am a giddy with excitement mom when it comes to back to school. I really don't love summer and I really, really welcome back to school almost unequivocally. I don't even really have a lot of conflicting feelings about it. So in that way, this Sarah and this Sarah, this Sarah and I are very similar. You know, I kind of wish that I had specific rituals that I do every single year. But and I thought a lot about this, like, do I is there something that I find myself doing every year? And I don't think I have ever intentionally created rituals, but there is a feeling and an energy that happens every year that I really, really love. And I do kind of get that um, like hyperdrive of organizational energy, similar to how people feel maybe at the start of the January new year. Um, and I kind of just see where that leads me. Um, sometimes it's things like I'm going to go get my car detailed. Sometimes it's things like I'm going to take all this, um, goodwill, these bags of used clothes and toys to the donation center. It's like that kind of nesting energy, clean out the pantry, 
Um, I end up listening to a lot of podcasts going on, like getting back on my exercise and my nutrition routine. So I don't really have rituals, but I really do lean in and enjoy that burst of energy. And it's important to acknowledge that for every burst of energy that you get at certain times of the year, there, there are other times of the year where you're really kind of blah and dragging. And I guess I, I think we're the same this way, Megan, like we both believe you have to give yourself permission and lean into either one. You can't expect yourself to have back to school energy 12 months of the year. I just really enjoy it when I do. I don't think I have specific rituals. I love that idea though. Me too. But you know, as you were talking, I was thinking same, same because I have done all of these things. In fact, I would say most years I do every one of these things. I often make plans to get together with friends uh, and make plans for myself in the first few weeks. I often get a haircut because suddenly you can get in places again. Uh, I often start back up my daily walks, which tend to flag quite a bit, probably starting at the end of July and through August when it gets really hot and I have to time it just right or I don't get out of the house to exercise. That's when my walking tends to really fall off. And then Um, and also just because life gets in the way, you know, there's other stuff going on. And so that usually picks right back up when kids go back to school. Um, I almost always buy myself new school supplies cause I'll be buying them for the kids. And then I'm like, especially as my kids have gotten older and their school supplies have moved away from, you know, crayons and markers toward like nice pens and things. <laughs> I will usually buy myself some stuff along those lines, like, a you know, new journals, new notebooks, new pens. So it's like, yes, I do all of those things. Because now I have that new energy, like new year energy plus time, space, and all the things that go with that. But it's not like a ritual is just something you do enough times to make it a ritual, right? Yeah. So yeah, I could say that those are my rituals, but I I didn't necessarily um like pre-plan them. Yeah. They just sort of happen. And I I would actually maybe caution against um over pre-planning your back to school rituals unless something it's like it's really small like you're going to go get the first pumpkin spice latte of the year on the first day the kids are all back or something though I love those kinds of little little rituals but the other thing I was going to say having a 5-3 and 1 year old is there can be a little womp womp like other shoe dropping when you have all this back to school energy and then the kids start getting sick cuz they yep. will um or I don't know other other weird stuff happens at at the start of the year where now there's like a three day weekend or they have half days for conferences. I've definitely, um, back to school night and all different things. I've had times where my back to school energy is like, so in hyperdrive that I'm outpacing like, Oh, regular life is still happening. Like I've got a sick kid and I've got a work deadline and I can't just sharpen pencils all day. There's a very different expectation around thinking, Oh, it would be great to pick up a coffee after I do preschool drop off um, and then your preschooler ends up screaming for half an hour when you're trying to drop them off and you're late and miss it. There's a very different expectation around the, Oh, that would be great that you think of on your way to school. Yeah. And the, Oh, I had this planned for two weeks and it's part of my ritual. Yes. You know, like (laughs) the expectation, the stakes are a lot higher when you've put a a label to it like that. And you, you also brought up a good point, which is kids, um, emotional, state often really goes into flux in the first few weeks of a school year. They are very tired. They can have new behavior stuff. Bedtimes are all wacky. So yes, having all of the hope for a shiny new school year is great. And then with that healthy dose of realistic expectations. Um, but I think we're both on 
team um team back to school mojo team do nice stuff for yourself yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. all right well i will read our next question which comes from caitlin she says i'm a mom to a 4 year old a 3 year old and a 2 month old my newly turned four-year-old struggled at the end of the last pre-K year to go inside. She's at the elementary school and they make you drop them off at the door where she then has to go up a flight of stairs with the pre-K to first grade kids before going into class. Any tips for encouraging a painfully shy kid to walk into school? So she's she's got to say goodbye at the door and then the pre-K, K and first grade kids walk in together and go upstairs. And so she's doing these cheerful goodbyes out on the curb basically is how I'm, how I'm picturing it. Yeah. So I guess I would say there's probably some method to this madness, um, on the part of whoever came up with this idea and probably getting caught up in a throng of kids is great for some little kids to distract them. You know what I mean? From like, Oh, mom's walking away or like, I don't know what's happening. Like, it's better to leave than to be left. Yeah. And, and there's for, for peer pressure. Kids. There's a and certain amount pressure. of peer pressure. They have to exactly. go with the flow of traffic. Right. And then there's that one kid, right? For whom it's like, this works great for 97% of the kids. And then there's that one. And it sounds like yours was that one last year. I would say yours may not still be that one. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is like a 16th of their life or something. Mm-hmm. So if you have a four-year-old, the last summer, the summer has represented a huge chunk of not just their four-year-old year, but their whole life. They might be a totally different kid. So I guess the first thing I would say is just, I know this isn't going to be very helpful if in, in case this kid is still there, but don't, I wouldn't like try to get ahead of it too much and expect it's going to be the same. I, I might not do too much like over-preparing that yeah. would suggest to your child that you expect it to be the same. I would maybe sort of act like it never happened. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Cause like, I, I, I always believe in like preparing kids for situations that might be hard, but sometimes you can easily plant the seed of an idea that they wouldn't even have thought about. Well, and it would be different if the four-year-old is already, let's say it's like two weeks till school start and she's bringing it up. Mommy, I don't want to walk up the stairs by myself or she, if she's bringing it up, then you have it, then, then you have a different challenge ahead of you. But I agree if it's not coming up naturally, remember that she has matured a lot and circumstances have changed. And even the throng of kids she's walking in with will be a slightly different. There's just a lot of variables. So I agree not to assume that this year will be like last year. Um, I also agree that there's probably a reason the school has designed it this way. And it's kind of working in your favor that there's a, a very set uh, expectations. Um, if things are going south, if the drop-offs are really hard. I, it has always been helpful for my kids to have a very brief talk about what's exactly going to happen. And then to stick to whatever I said is exactly going to happen. And not, I'm not talking about an elaborate goodbye ritual. Mm. I'm just saying, I think kids feel safe when the follow through on your part is exactly what you said it was going to be. Even if that's really hard, I think it's, it can be counterproductive to stay and wave a little bit longer because she's crying yeah. or to walk up the first couple of stairs because she's losing her mind. I I think for my kids, what was helpful is to have a chat in the car. Okay. Remember we agreed. I'm going to walk you to the curb. I'm going to give you a kiss on the cheek. I'm going to give you a high five. 
And then I'm going to watch you till you get to the first step. And then I'm going to turn around and go to the car. That's what's going to happen. And I just made up all those details. You make up the details that make sense for you. But then you do exactly what you said you were going to do. And I do think that a lot of kids feel safety in that, even when they're losing their mind. Well, and the teachers aren't going to let your kid chase you out to the car and climb in. Like there's some, they've got some protocol (laughs) for this. And it might be that one of them takes your child by the hand and leads them the first couple of times. But like there is a, I think sometimes when there's like, I'm picturing this in my mind and the anxiety it might create for me as the mom, especially because she might also be holding her baby. I, and, I was picturing a three-year-old you know and I mean? an infant like, in all this. Yes. Like, oh. And you're like, oh, there's all this, like all these kids moving. I, this is all variables I can't control. Are you sweaty thinking about yes, it? Yes, I'm sweaty just thinking. I only, I don't even have a hand. Like I don't even, <laughs> how is this literally going to work? And I think someone has thought this through. So you can also maybe mention it to whoever yeah. the person is like, hey, what happens if I literally don't have a hand? So what happens if yep. uh, I start to walk to the school and my four-year-old runs after me? I'm sure they have a contingency for yep. this. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, we have an episode called, I think it's just from last fall, with, that's called Separation Without Quite So Much Anxiety. Mm-hmm. And we cover separation anxiety of all kinds from preschool drop-off. If I remember correctly, we talked about it quite a bit. And then all the way up through different kinds of separation anxiety, even older kids and, you know, sleepovers and sleepaway camp. And we kind of like, we give a, a more global look at this idea of separating from your kid. And that might be a good listen, but you're definitely not alone, Caitlin. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the mom hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, our place. In fact, you, me and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. 
Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, well, this next question comes from Kaylee and Kaylee says, Hi, Megan and Sarah. Sarah, this is a little more for you, but of course I welcome Megan's input as well. Well, thank you. I don't know that I'll have anything to offer, but thank you, Kaylee. Um, Sarah, you've said that during your kids' early elementary years, you've largely opted out of homework. I did the same. My oldest is going into fourth grade this year, and I have a feeling our no homework days are numbered. How did you approach letting your kids know when homework was no longer optional? How did you implement this in your house as a regular thing that needed to happen? Okay. I'm curious too. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure we can find an episode where I have talked about this. It's in the Facebook group a lot too. Um, but mostly in kindergarten first, little bit of second, I, I did decide that for our family, enforcing worksheet homework every night was important enough for me not to do that I would usually have a brief email exchange with the teacher at the start of the year. And it wasn't like I was saying, you know, screw you and your homework policy. I'm not doing it. It was a much more open-ended conversation, but I basically would let teachers know in the lower grades that it wasn't a priority for me to police that with my kids. So if they did their homework, great. If they didn't, I let them know what else we do at home. We read, we cook, we play. We don't really have screens during the week and I'm not going to be enforcing homework. And Across the board with three kids in multiple different schools, it was a really positive dialogue that that started with the teachers in the lower grades. Most of them said they don't like homework either, and some parents want it and some don't, so don't worry about it. So that's the quick backstory that Kaylee's referring to. But to answer her question, I'm going to say that I never really told my kids homework wasn't optional because I think in my house technically homework is still optional. I've never uh, run an after school house where I enforce homework or check homework. I, I have, I guess, taken a more active role in um, helping my kids make probably the best decision for themselves. And so I, I'm not saying like, well, if they do it, great. If they don't, don't. I, I am actively involved, but more it more looked like the teacher's expectations and the homework that was coming home naturally got to a point in third and definitely by fourth grade where my kids felt enough pressure and obligation that they actually wanted to do it or there were built-in consequences in the classroom that actually affected them and they cared about. And so in that case, I would ask questions like, well, and obviously at the start of the year, you're also, you're going to back to school night, you're finding out. So I, I'm doing my due diligence to kind of find out what is the homework vibe in this classroom. I stopped sending those emails, first of all, like by third grade, I stopped sending those emails saying we won't be doing homework. I just felt like that was, that was very much like a K through two thing for me. Um, and then I kind of would ask my kids, like, what's, what's your plan for homework today? Or what do you have on your list this week? What do you need from me? Um, and I, I'm always going to provide sharp pencils and right. a, a clean well countertop. Support. And um, <laughs> I will say certain kids of mine 
trended anxious about getting in trouble or um, not finishing something. And so honestly, my role as a homework parent was less about making them do it because I never have. I'd always prefer that they face the natural consequences at school for not doing their homework, but actually more talking them down if they were obsessing about their homework or like, uh, I don't get this problem. I'm never going to finish this. And so that was more like what we shifted into. And I know that's common as well. So I'll stop there. You probably have questions. Well, I do. Uh, well, I have some thoughts actually. Um, one being that kind of like the goal as your kids get into older grades, I would say as someone with as whose kids have gone through middle and high school is that you don't want to be the homework police. Like right. the goal is to create an environment where it's between them and their teacher yes. largely because you don't know what conversations are happening in school. And if you put yourself in the position where you're in between the parent or the teacher and the kid, when it comes to homework and things like that, you're always going to be getting like the kid's version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's so much work to try to go like compare it against what the teacher actually said or expects. It's just, it's best. I think for everybody that that's what you create, that this mm-hmm. is really between um, kids and teachers. And that's harder to do in kindy first and second grade without actually having the conversation with the teacher, because they might have expectations that yeah. you, you need to, I guess, adjust or address. Um, so it's not like you're, it's not like, uh, Luke in fourth grade was like, mm, I'm sorry. Uh, my mommy said, I don't have to do homework. Right, right. We don't do homework. Like, that's yeah. not what you're talking about. Right, no. It's more like, Luke is probably looking around going, oh, okay. I see that homework really makes a difference. And if I want to get this grade or be prepared for this test or whatever, I probably should do it. So it's like a very different, it's like, it's like the natural consequence of what happens in school, but also in the home as well. Like what's, yeah. So, so that's one thought. And I would also say with the anxiety, I didn't have like a policy per se. Although I will say, I feel like all of my kids, I think it was just, they all went to the same elementary school and they all had very similar. Well, they mostly had similar uh, approaches to homework with their teachers, which is, I don't remember there being a lot of that worksheet kind of stuff at that, those grades. Um, but in third, fourth and fifth, when it did happen, I would sometimes text, especially Clara's teacher. She was very anxious about homework. And just say, you know, Claire's just not really feeling it today. Or she's been working on this for like 45 minutes and it's not going anywhere. And I would always get the same response, which is like, oh my goodness, none of this is worth yeah, like wrecking an evening over. Yeah. So there's ways to like kind of have a half and half approach too, where it's like, I'll let the, I'll let the school kind of, um, guide how the homework thing goes. But if I feel like it's encroaching on our home time or my child's mental health, I'll step in. And like redirect it. Yeah. Um, I agree and have had a similar experience. And I I think that's just a vote for homeschool communication. They call that like being in touch with the teacher because you're right. The kids will sometimes tell you a version of what's expected that they like. We have to do this or or else else we're going to (laughs) miss recess. The whole class is going to miss recess if I don't finish this problem. And then sometimes there's a slightly different version of the truth that it turns out. Um, But the other thing I was going to say is you're still in charge of the the rhythm of your household from the hours after school until you leave for school the next morning. And I definitely at certain times have put parameters around when homework uh, 
can or needs to be done, but not in the way that like you have to finish your homework by 430 before you go to practice or before you do screens. Not in that way, just in the way that sometimes homework would become a bedtime stalling tactic. Sometimes my kids would want to do homework in the morning, the next morning before school, because I have early risers and sometimes there was time for that. But then it's like now they're not eating breakfast or they're not putting their shoes on. So I definitely took an active role in fitting homework into our home rhythms, but not in the way you might think, not in the way that like, okay, you have to come right home and do your homework because grades and because this, it was more that like homework has to fit into the rhythm of our family. And I think that's what you were saying, Megan, which is like that most teachers don't want homework to ruin an evening or take over your family. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Kaylee, let us know how that all goes. It's a journey. The homework is a journey. It is. Um, Okay. Next question comes from Melanie and she said, hi ladies, how do you handle declining invitations to parties, sleepovers, and playdates your child doesn't want to attend in a way that isn't lying, but also isn't total frankness. This is coming up a lot recently. And while I'll of course honor my child's wishes, it can put me in a weird spot. I want to model honesty, but also want to teach her how to be sensitive to others' feelings. Of note, she does like most of the girls from whom she receives invites. She's just discerning in how she socializes. Help. So uh, for context, her daughter is 10. Okay. And her daughter's name is Claire. Yay. Um, This is so funny because I was racking my brain trying to think about similar experiences I might have had throughout the years. And I cannot remember a single time my boys were ever invited to a party they didn't want to go to. If if there was ever a party they didn't go to is because we just had too much going on that weekend. We couldn't do it. Or like I was overwhelmed with everything happening and just didn't, couldn't figure out something else for the other siblings to do. It was never that they literally every boy to a one, if they got an invitation, they're like, well, yeah, all right, I'll go. Clara, very different because like Melanie's describing with Claire, Clara liked all the girls in her class, but like the just not feeling it thing is big with her. So, I mean, I could easily stereotype that this is a boy versus girl thing. I don't know. I'm just going to say in my experience, never happened with the boys happened somewhat frequently with frequently with the girls. And, um, I have a couple of thoughts. One is I have a kid who often says they, their default is no, they don't want to. If it's not a situation they're completely comfortable with, um, Clara is a homebody. She really likes her routines. She has a very small group of besties that she associates with. And then it's kind of like hard to get her to break out of that. She's, she feels uncomfortable. She doesn't, you know, she just doesn't know if she'll fit in, blah, blah, blah. So I have sometimes my first uh, line of response is to say, are you sure about that? Like, is it really that you don't want to go? Or sometimes to encourage, push sometimes, um, I'm not going to say force, but sometimes bribe her to go to things, even if it's not for the whole time. So it doesn't have to be like, okay, there's going to be this big thing. And then a sleepover, you don't have to stay the whole time, but I'd like you to show up for this thing. Um, partly because I also see how I think maybe because of the pandemic or maybe just because of this era that we're in, maybe because she's the youngest of five and doesn't really have to put herself out there she could very easily isolate herself and has uh, and at times before. So like my first thing is to say like, well, let's just revisit that. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> first of all. Now, if the answer is truly no, because it's like, Hey, actually those girls are bad news. And I have had that situation before where there's been groups of girls 
where it's like, I don't want to go to that party because the dynamics get like uncomfortable. Um, sometimes like it's not really, I'm not going to use the word safe. I think that word gets overused a little bit, but like it's objectionable (laughs) to me as the parent for her to be in that environment. Then, um, I usually just lie. (laughs) And by lie, I don't have to say a lot. You know, it's not, I don't, it's not like I say, so sorry, she's sick. It's not like that kind of a lie, but it might be something like, sorry, we just have a lot going on or that's just not going to work out or whatever. It's like modeling honesty doesn't have to look like telling the whole truth or being frank. It could just look like less information. Like no is a complete, is a complete sentence. I agree. I, I think that's a great thing to model that no is a complete sentence. Um, I think with birthday parties, it's a lot easier. Um, the way it works with Violet and Violet is 10. And like, if a invitation comes in, I would typically, it would typically come to my email, like an evite or something. And I would ask Violet, is this something you want to go to? And there definitely have been times where she's probably more equally yes and no. Like she's not, um, she likes to go to parties. So a lot of times she would say yes, but if she said no, and I, and it was cool with me that she didn't want to go, I can literally just reply on the evite. Like I can click the button that says like, sorry, unable to attend. And like you said, less information is, is perfectly appropriate. And still, I think within etiquette bounds and honesty at that point. Now, if on the playground, somebody's like, Oh, Violet, why aren't you going to Sophia's birthday? Then yeah, Violet is having to learn at 10 how to walk that line. And I think this is what Melanie's really asking is like modeling honesty, but also giving kids the, the social skills to be delicate with people's feelings and not to be like, I don't want to go to your party, you know? And, and that is something kids are learning and it's not going to look perfect every time. And honestly, you probably can't control it or give her the right words because sometimes someone's just going to ask her like, Hey, why were you there this weekend? And she's going to on the spot either come up with a little white lie to save face. Like, Oh, we just had a lot going on like that. Or a big whopping lie. Like my brother got run over by a truck and you can't control it. Like you can't necessarily put the right words in her mouth. That's something she's going to learn. And you probably are modeling that, Melanie, even in situations outside of this. If you're generally modeling both honesty and kindness and compassion, she'll figure it out. She'll figure out like what the right thing to say is. Um, But one thing I wanted to bring up is in her email, she says parties slash sleepovers slash playdates. And I just want to acknowledge, I think this is a lot harder when your kid is being asked just to go play like at someone's house or a park because you don't have all of these little um, face saving crutches we've been talking about that you do with birthday parties because the the other mom could be like, oh, well, what's your schedule? Like, what day is she free after school? Like, I mean, that those invi- invitations can keep coming if if you're not somehow able to clearly send the message that like my kid doesn't really want to play with your kid. And I'm not sure I have really great advice for that one, except that it is hard. And I recently reached out to a mom that it was a mom of a friend that Violet played a lot with like a year ago and then kind of grew apart from. And Violet said, I'd really like to hang out with her again. And I reached out to the mom and I said, oh, maybe we could get the girls together like this. And and the mom was like, yeah, I'll check with so-and-so, her daughter, and and circle back. And they never did. And I ha- I have to believe that like there's a good chance that kid just 
doesn't really want to have a play date with Violet. And that's that's okay. Like they're entitled to that. I just think the play date thing is a lot more delicate than the birthday yes. party thing. It's a, it's harder. Everybody's feelings are more and the truth is more out in the open. I also think, and this might be controversial. We don't often get controversial oh, on this show, but I'm just about to a little bit. I feel like these days there's an awful lot expected of kids that they're never going to hurt each other's feelings, that they're never going to misstep. Um, and I just think that that's not really very fair or realistic. Like, yeah, like you were saying about Violet being put on the spot on the playground. She might blow it. Yeah. <laughs> she might blow that communication. And that's like her, lear- like that's yeah. her learning. And that's also the other kids. Like there's learning that's going to happen there from both of them. But it's not like Violet's job to suddenly have the emotional IQ of a 30 year old. Yeah. Um, she's allowed to be a kid and to mess this up. And so is Claire. Like they're allowed they have to, they have yes. to work it up and work it out in amongst themselves and in themselves. Cause otherwise we're going to be declining invitations for them when they're 40 years old. Yep. Like they won't ever or they're figure gonna be out. accepting invitations. They don't want to go to, which exactly. is also like a pattern. I don't think we want for our kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it's trick. It is very tricky. I think I told, I might've mentioned this on the show. I've for sure told you Sarah that when Claire was about five or six, I ran into the mom of a little boy. She really liked playing with they had just moved. And I said something like, well, next time you're in town, you know, let's get the kids together. And she said, I think Chase has enough friends. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it still stands out in my memory all these years later. It was very direct and perhaps a bit rude. I'm not sure she meant it quite the way it came out. But now that I think about it, I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, Hey, what you survived that she, moment? Like you, I survived it. Yeah. Claire didn't have to know about it. I yeah. didn't go tell Claire, like, he doesn't want to play with you. And can you believe his mom said that? I just was like, Oh, all right. Uh, weird. And I'm sure I made excuses and then she forgot about it. Yeah. Because kids will do that eventually too. So I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of conversation out there about kids being kind and empathetic and accepting invitations. Um, and I know that can have a lot of big feelings around it. And I'm maybe, maybe I come off as being like some kind of warrior for turning down invitations <laughs> that I'm not, but at the same time, like your kids are going to hurt other kids' feelings and your kids are going to have their feelings hurt by other kids. Yes. End of story. And working through it productively and healthily, I think is what this generation of parents wants in the end. Like yeah. we actually want our kids to uh, build the resilience that comes with experiencing minor and major heartbreaks and then moving yeah. through them. I mean, that's all, that's what we say we want, but then, <laughs> then in the but moment we, though? <laughs> when your kid is the one who no one's coming to their birthday party, um, that's tough. The, the last thing I want to say is also, it's not controversial, but it's something that I have had my eyes opened to because of this podcast and, and our Facebook community specifically. I feel like seven or eight years ago when we started talking about birthday parties, I have always been a champion for saying no. If you, if, if the every weekend preschool birthday party bouncy house circuit is a drain on your family's time, money, resources, energy, I've been the biggest vocal champion for moms, just declining birthday party invitations because I, I really didn't enjoy that phase of preschool life. Um, and we've gotten a lot of pushback, not just on me personally, but on that attitude um, from our community, from parents who have been on the other side where literally 
no one says yes to a birthday party and no one shows up and no one RSVPs. And I'm just using it as an example of something I have really had my eyes opened to because I will fully admit I didn't consider that implication of what I was trying to say, which is as a parent, you only have a a finite amount of time, money and resources for your family culture. And you don't have to go to the bouncy house place every Saturday and every Sunday for six years, which I felt like was kind of the way parenting culture was going with birthday party culture. But I'm just admitting like, yes, there is a flip side to that. And it would be heartbreaking if you invited a whole class of four-year-olds and nobody RSVP'd and nobody showed up. That is terrible I, because it had not happened to me and didn't hadn't happened to someone close to me, I guess. I really wasn't aware that that's the flip side. So I'm just kind of owning. I see that now. And I see that this is this is a tricky thing. Um, I totally agree. And I remember when we've had that that pushback, which is kind of part of what I was just addressing yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Acknowledging as well that I just come from a very different parenting culture when it comes to birthday parties. Like, it's not what you're describing necessarily. Um, but when it has started to feel that way, my initial thing is to be like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, back off. Like, I, this is too much. I guess anytime parents are mad at each other for these things, I tend to say, I tend to s- sit back and look and say, it's not really us. We're not the problem here. It's this thing that's getting out of control or that we don't know how to interact with. Like we don't know. It's no one parent's fault that no, that zero kids came to this party. No one set out to be mean to this kid. Like that was not the thing. Those parents are probably super overwhelmed because they have too dang much going on in their, in their lives. And this is the one thing they could control and the one thing they could say no to. So it's really tricky. Like when we find ourselves in a cultural moment where that's our reality, then like, it's not us. We're not the problem, except that we keep, except we keep doing it. We perpetuate the cycle, but like the bigger problem is what's happening around us. And like that, that it's gotten to this state. So, yeah. And I guess I I've never, I've never, um, really enjoyed the generalization that because a bunch of people declined an invitation to a birthday party, they're all somehow, callous jerks. Like I do think there's a world in which, like you said, everyone has a very legitimate reason for needing to decline and still a kid is heartbroken on the other side. It just stinks. That is terrible. It stinks. Yeah. Yeah. I just think I don't even, I don't even think I really understood or thought about that other side when I was first soapboxing on this issue. (laughs) Well, Sarah, we will be back next week with another school back to school, um, all things school related listener questions episode. Before we wrap, I wanted to talk about something really fun that I'm doing this October. Ooh, October, um, fall. I know fall, back to right? Um, but you still have plenty of time to prepare. I am hosting the reinvent retreat here in Southwest Michigan. There's also going to be an online version of it. If, if getting to Southwest Michigan is not doable. So this is really going to be aimed at uh, midlife moms and moms whose kids are getting older, but we're going to have yoga, nature hikes, group discussions, time to journal, relax. It's going to be amazing. I had a retreat that I hosted several years ago that you got to come to, wow. and it was such a great experience. And I'm really looking forward to doing this again. So you can find out all about it at reinventretreat.com. That's reinventretreat.com. And if you use the code MOMHOUR by August 30th, you will get 15% off. Um, the one you did a few years ago, several years ago, many years ago now, 
um, like was eight, I think. <laughs> also in this time of year. So I was going to say for anybody who craves like real fall, who lives in yes. places where there's not fall, um, highly recommend that time of year in your it doesn't part get of the world. Much better than Southwest Michigan in late October. Yeah. It will be gorgeous. Yeah. Love that. All right, everybody. Well, we will talk to you a week from today, next Tuesday, when we will take more of your back to school listener questions. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.